Section 30 of Baled Hay by Bill Nye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Codfish. This tropical bird very seldom wings its way so far west as Wyoming. He loves the sea breezes and humid atmosphere of the Atlantic Ocean, and when isolated in this mountain clime, pines for his native home. The codfish cannot sing, but is prized for his beautiful plumage and seductive odor. The codfish of commerce is devoid of digestive apparatus and is more or less permeated with salt. Codfish on toast is not as expensive as quail on toast. The codfish ball is made of the shattered remains of the adult codfish mixed with the tropical Irish potato of commerce. The codfish has a great wealth of glad, unfettered smile. When he laughs at anything, he has that same wide waste of mirth and back teeth that Mr. Talmadge has. The Wyoming codfish is generally dead. Death, in most cases, is a result of exposure and loss of appetite. No one can look at the codfish of commerce and not shed a tear. Far from home, with his system filled with salt, while his eternal economy is gone, there is an air of sadness and homesickness and briny hopelessness about him that no one can see unmoved. It is in our home life, however, that the codfish makes himself felt and remembered. When he enters our household, we feel his all-pervading presence, like the perfume of wood violets or the seductive odor of a dead mouse in the piano. Friends may visit us and go away, to be forgotten with the advent of a new face. But the cold, calm, silent corpse of the codfish cannot be forgotten. Its chastened influence permeates the entire ranch. It steals into the parlor like an unbidden guest, and flavors the costly curtains and the high-priced lambrequins. It enters the dark closet and dallies lovingly with your swallowtail coat. It goes into your sleeping apartment and makes its home in your glove box and your handkerchief case. That is why we say that it is a solemn thing to take the life of a codfish. We would not do it. We would pass him by a thousand times, no matter how ferocious he might be, rather than take his life and have our once happy home haunted forever by his unholy presence. His aged mother. An exchange says that the James boys had a morose and ugly disposition. This may be regarded as authentic. The James boys were not only morose, but they were at times irritable and even boorish. Some of their acts would seem to savor of the most coarse and rude of impulses. Jesse James at different times killed over fifty men. This would show that his disposition must have been soured by some great sorrow. A person who fills the New Jerusalem with people, or kills a majority of the Republican voters of a precinct, or the entire board of directors of a national bank, or who remorselessly kills all the first-class passengers on a through train, just because he feels crotchety and disagreeable, must be morose and sullen in his disposition. No man who is healthy and full of animal spirits could massacre the able-bodied voters of a whole village unless he felt cross and taciturn naturally. 
there should have been a post-mortem examination of Mr. James to determine what was the matter with him. We were in favor of a post-mortem examination of Mr. James twelve years ago, but there seemed to be a feeling of reluctance on the part of the authorities about holding it. No one seemed to doubt the propriety of such a movement, but there was a kind of vague hesitation by the proper officials on account of his mother. There has been a vast amount of thoughtfulness manifested by the Missouri people on behalf of Jesse's mother. For nearly twenty years they have put off the post-mortem examination of Mr. James because they knew that his mother would feel wretched and gloomy when she saw her son with his vitals in one market basket and his vertebrae in another. The American people hate like sin to step in between a mother and her child and create unpleasant sensations. Mr. Pinkerton was the most considerate. At first he said he would hold an autopsy on Mr. James right away, but it consumed so much time holding autopsies on his detectives that he postponed Jesse's postmortem for a long time. He also hoped that after the lapse of years, maybe, Mr. James would become enfeebled so that he could steal up behind him some night and stun him with a Chicago pie. But Jesse seemed vigorous up to a late date, and out of respect for his aged mother, the Chicago sleuth-hounds of justice have spared him. Detectives are sometimes considered hard-hearted and unloving in their natures, but this is not the case. Very few of them can bear to witness the shedding of blood, especially their own blood. Sometimes they find it necessary to kill a man in order to restore peace to the country, but they very rarely kill a man like James. This is partly due to the fact that they hate to cut a man like that right down before he has a chance to repent. They are prone to give him probation and get another chance to turn. Still, there are lots of mean, harsh, unthinking people who do not give the detectives credit for this. Business Letters All business letters, as a rule, demand some kind of an answer, especially those containing money. To neglect the reply to a letter is an insult, unless the letter failed to contain a stamp. In your reply, first acknowledge the receipt of the letter, then the receipt of the money, whatever it is. Letters asking for money or the payment of a bill may be postponed from time to time if necessary. No man should reply to such a letter while angry. If the amount is small and you are moderately hot, wait two days. If the sum is quite large and you are tempted to write an insulting letter, wait two weeks or until you have thoroughly cooled down. Business letters should be written on plain, neat paper, with your name and business neatly printed at the top by the boomerang job printer. Letters from railroad companies referring to important improvements, etc., etc., should contain pass, not for publication, but as a guarantee of good faith. Neat and beautiful penmanship is very desirable in business correspondence, but it is most important that you should not spell God with a little G or codfish with a K. Ornamental penmanship is good, but it will not take the cuss off if you don't know how to spell. Read your letter over carefully after you have written it, if you can. If not, 
send it with an apology about the rush of business. In ordering goods, state whether you will remit soon or whether the account should be placed in the refrigerator. Danger of Gardening A Colorado book agent writes us about as follows. For some time past, it has been my desire to insure my life for the benefit of my family, but I knew the public sentiment so well that I feared it could not be done. I knew that there was a deep and bitter enmity against book agents, which I found had pervaded the insurance world to such an extent that I would be unable to obtain insurance at a reasonable premium. The popular belief is that book agents are shot on sight and their mangled bodies thrown into the tall grass or fed to the coyotes. I found, however, that I could get my life insured for $2,000 by paying a premium of $12 per year as a book agent. This was far better than anything I had ever looked for. The question arose as to whether I worked in my garden or not, and I was forced to admit that I did. It ought to reduce the premium if a man works in his garden, and thus, by short periods of vigorous exercise, prolongs his life. But it don't seem to be that way. They charged me an additional three dollars on the premium, because I toiled a little among my pet rutabagas. I don't know what the theory is about this matter. Perhaps the company labors under the impression that a thousand-legged worm might crawl into my ear and kill me, or a purple-topped turnip might explode and knock my brains out. Of course, in the midst of life we are in death, but I always used to think I was safer mashing my squash bugs and hoeing my blue-eyed beans than when I was on the road dodging bulldogs and selling books. Perhaps some amateur gardener, in a careless moment, at some time or other, has been stabbed in the diaphragm by a murderous radish, or a watermelon may have stolen up to some man in years gone by and brained him with part of a picket fence. There must be statistics somewhere by which the insurance companies have arrived at this high rate on gardeners. If you know anything of this matter, I wish you would write me. For if hoeing sweet corn and cultivating string beans is going to sock me into an early grave, I want to know it. End of section 30. Recording by Scotty Smith. End of Baled Hay, a drier book than Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass by Bill Nye.